In a world where heresy blankets the airwaves, religious stuffed shirts suck the life out of Sunday morning, and prosperity teachers rob grandmothers of their pensions, three unassuming ministers endeavor to shine the light of biblical theology and put the fun back in fundamentalism. Broadcasting live from the Hall of Dogma... Brought to you this week by the number of curse words I said trying to buy Garth Brooks tickets this week. Welcome in to episode I thought I had a good 47 idea. of the Gospel Friends. I'm Reverend Verbage. Reverend Foulmouth. I'm Chase Captain Crunchy Thompson. And I am, already happened multiple times today, Nuclear Nick. Yeah, so I did not actually say the words, I just thought them. As Which isn't as bad, right? Heart. Nick gave me so Garth is coming to town. I had a plan. Garth a is good plan. Garth is coming to town. Yes, that is. I, and I am, I am quite possibly the world's um, largest Garth Brooks fan, but not in like girth. I just mean like <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> so um, I was trying to get tickets, and Nick at Nick at <laughs> Nick at work gave me a. Um, some help. Tried. Yeah, he tried to give me some help to buy well, here's tickets. Here's the thing. I was afraid the internet security policies at work would mess him up somewhere down the line because because the e-commerce and things like that and them, the auto filters yeah. not letting him do something. A lot so. of jargon no one understood. But anyway. Well, actually, most of our audience, based on the conversations I've had with them, understands just because you don't, Mr. IT Manager, doesn't mean they won't. Okay. So I, I, lo- I got the laptop. Are you paying attention, Chase? Mm-hmm. I got the laptop that Nick gave me. And yeah. I was online, and I, I got to Ticketmaster, and it was a couple minutes after 10 a.m., and I hit search for what I wanted, and it put me in line, took about 10 minutes, and then it gave me the option to buy the two tickets. I hit submit, and the parental control policy on the laptop that he gave me blocked me from being able to buy the tickets and the concert You're welcome. both nights, Friday and Saturday, sold out before I could get the tickets. That's frustrating. Yep. Maybe it's time for you to turn 19. And get those printer controls off. <laughs> Luckily, Garth, being the gentleman and scholar that he is, added a second concert on Saturday night. So I'm going to see him at 10.30 p.m. on a Saturday night in June. Garth is a pal. Good job, Garth. And I said... I just Another went, note, you're going to have to preach on June 4th. No, as it yeah, turns out, he's going to be out of town that. that week, so I'm preaching. I said I was going to be here Sunday. So, anywho, welcome into the Gospel Friends. All, right? There's four elders. Well, yes. Four uh, elders. Four elders. Thank you, Nick. Is it, isn't one of the qualifications that they can all teach? Well, I would love to have this conversation with you right now, Nick. Why don't we continue it, buddy? I mean, <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. Oh, gosh. I mean, I was so, just, just going to peel back the veil a little bit anywho. to say that two out of the three gospel friends are in a bad mood today. And I came in thinking I was in a bad mood, but um, I wasn't nearly in as bad mood as the others. So we're really more the gospel acquaintances today. Hopefully we won't become the gospel enemies today. And may may some sort of miracle happen to bring us back to friendship. See, I'll say the fact that we are friends is the only reason the all three of us are still sitting here. It's probably true. I dodged a bullet during the pre-show when somebody hurled a... A large device at my head, but we're doing the thing where we normally do, where we get way past. Uh, well, I don't know about you guys. Silliness. I'm not here for the friendship. I'm here for the money. Let's do it. Which Let's is earn coming our from money. Now. Nathan Bankroll Martin. That's right. 
All right, who so sent who bought, me seventy three cents yesterday? Uh, he bought me a salad this week, but it wasn't the best thing I was sent by uh, a member of the Hall of Dogma. But we'll we'll get to that in a minute. What are we going to talk about today? We're about to talk about in 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 like literally seconds. Um, a something serious. Uh, yeah, old video from uh, Gospel Coalition between Mark Driscoll, James McDonald, and Mark Dever on a debate on multi-site church versus non-multi-site church. But that's not actually what we're going to end up talking about. No, it's pretty interesting comments indeed from Mark Dever toward Driscoll, um, and this is from a few years back. So we'll get to that in a moment. What else do we want to talk about? We are also going to talk about pedo-baptism, and we're going to try to convert everybody to our views of baptism from the Hall of Dogma Southern Baptist Church. Mm. Yeah. Except you're not going to take a Southern Baptist position, I bet. We'll just have to see. Truth train. Stay tuned. We also have a, uh, a treat as that a, as that a member of the Hall of Dogma mailed us a box of cereal this week. In real mail. And we're going to talk about it and review it. That's right. Live. This and more coming up next on episode 47 of The Gospel Friends. Commercial break. No, we don't have those. <laughs> that was rough. That was a terrible intro, guys. All right. Let's get it together and get back into the show. I really am confused. Like, where's our makeup artist? Can't all of y'all teach? <laughs> okay, 20 seconds and we're back on the air. Can we? Five seconds. Who, ed- who edits the shows? Three, two, Whoa. one. Over to you, David. All right, so um, interesting. Uh, this week, a video popped up on the interwebs that uh, dates back a couple of years. Yep, and it's a it's an interesting uh, video from uh, the Gospel Coalition. You can't actually get it on the Gospel Coalition site anymore. Um, my understanding has been taken down, but it is a video from uh, 2014, I believe, maybe November 2014. Uh, Mark Dever, who is the pastor at uh, what's what's the uh, Capital Something Baptist? Is it Capital Baptist? In, it's uh, Capital Something Baptist. Okay. Uh, James McDonald and Mark Driscoll. So this is one of those Gospel Coalition videos. Capitol Hill Baptist. Capitol Hill Baptist. Uh, They do the roundtable, the three guys sitting around a table, and they debate some topic. And so the the topic was uh, multi-sites, yay or nay. So should a church have multi-site, be multi-site, or should a church, if it got big enough, um, just plant uh, other churches? And so Mark Dever, of course, took the position of, planting other churches while James McDonald and Mark Driscoll were both multi-site guys. And so that that was the debate. Uh, but the comments that, to me, make the video interesting get, gets into some of the reasons that Mark Dever gives to Driscoll and McDonald for not doing multi-site, and uh, perhaps some of those comments a little prophetic. Perhaps so. Let's find out. We're going James, to roll the video. We're going to play uh, a large portion of the video for you, and then we'll talk about it. So here you go. So hey, Mark, how many uh, sites at your church? Uh, ten, hoping to open eleven this summer. Great. And how many services? Twenty-four-ish. Yeah, we got five sites going to six. We have thirteen going to fifteen weekend services. You know, more than 10,000 people in both of our churches, hundreds and hundreds of decisions for Christ every year. Praise God, baptized. And uh, here is our brother, mentor, theological genius, 
Aubrey. When his book on church polity came out, I was like, are you kidding me? I couldn't wow, write. James, it would take you've never my whole read life to write Come on, come on, take, come on. I couldn't even carry it, let alone read it. It's so full. You're, you're like smarter than I'll ever be. So, but you don't have multi-site. Oh, my goodness. You don't even have multi-services. Oh, what's going But on? you certainly could fill more if you had them with your amazing gift of preaching. And I know people are coming to Christ in your church. You're planting churches. So you've obviously decided differently than we've decided. Yeah. We'll tell you why we're right in a minute. But you tell us why you're doing it the way you are. All right. The word ecclesia in the New Testament means assembly. According to... The Bible. I mean, no, I think this on, lexical no, use, it, it a, means assembly. <laughs> so like in Acts, 16, in Acts 18, when there's the riot in Ephesus, they have an assembly. Yeah, but even, but even, but even usage, if it, even if it means assembly, oh, even if it means assembly, it, it doesn't mean one and only assembly, all assembled together. And not the yeah, whole I mean, church is present at that time. Anyways, you, you have children's yeah, ministry? It does mean that, yeah. Okay, so they're assembled in a different place? You've already broken that code. Yeah. Just well, break it again. I think that we have an assembly, and what we want to do with more assemblies is have more elders and more preachers. So we do want to have more people come to Christ. And we okay, do. That, that works good for the guy who's hoarding, the guy who's building this big multi-site, multi-site, multi-site thing, but never plants churches. But you're yeah. preaching to the wrong choir if you're going yeah. to say, did you plant any churches, Mark? A uh, couple. Yeah, we've planted some too. So we're, we believe, we agree with you that you should but be raising okay, up James, other preachers. But James, when you've got a multi-site and you can have somebody else preaching there, why not have somebody else preaching there? Well, we do both. Than, than the same we, do. Person. we plant churches and we do multi-site. See, it's and, 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 not one, one, one. And I do think that in one geographical region, like I've been in Chicago for 25 years now, I do think that there's a level of influence. The reason I'm planning a church in Kansas City and in North Carolina and in Miami and in Minneapolis and whatever is because I, I don't have a thing there. I don't have any influence. I, these big cities are such a perplexity to all of us. And where I have a lot of influence, if I can in my lifetime cash that influence, I believe that people will go and hear me in that region where I've built up hopefully a test, uh, reputation for um, being a trustworthy source of spiritual nourishment. I believe that there's something that I've built there that I can extend. But where, where it involves a new city where I'm nothing, then let someone else there uh, go there and do that. Well, in so Mark's saying, case, he's, he's, he's known in a lot of places, so he would have multi-sites in other places, well, too. So just to be clear, so you're saying you, you have started a church in Miami? Yeah. Uh -huh. And why not make that an evangelistic event rather than a church? Well, obviously, because we're called to plant churches. That's the model in the New Testament. The book of Acts, that's why I'm not uh, starting hospitals or driving mercy ships, even though I think those things are good. You know, the mission of missions is the church, and the mission of the church is missions. So our church is about missions, which is about church planting, and all of our churches are about church planting. I mean, I, that's the New mm -hmm. Testament. I'm telling you that. You well, obviously know that. Well, I agree with you. My question is just how we do it, and I think Christ gives gifts of elders to his churches. We have elders in all those churches. We don't control those churches. They're autonomous, self-governing, yeah. churches. Then in what sense are you? I'm only multi-site in Chicago. Yeah, and that's all under one eldership. Oh, I was confused. Okay, so in Miami, you're not pastoring a church that's in Miami. That's not multi-site. No, that's yeah. a church I've plant. got one in oh, Albuquerque. I'm not, I'm not, I have no I've question about church plants. We've got multi-site around the Seattle region and then also one in Albuquerque. Okay, now in Albuquerque, Mark, surely you would rather have some other guy raised up there to preach the gospel who can actually pastor that church. He was. And then he okay. um, decided to become multi-site, and it went from... I don't know, maybe 200 to 500 in about six months. Um, it's freed him up to shepherd. He, the, the guys preach about 25% of the time. I preach about 75% of the time. There's a full elder team there. Every single thing that you would say qualifies as a required yeah. mark of the church happens at the local campus. Okay, just can I ask you some questions about this? Yeah. 
Are you concerned that it builds people too much into you particularly? No, actually, it does the opposite. If I'm not, I mean, they're more addicted to you. They have to come talk to you, shake your hand, be yeah. in the same room yeah. with you, get around the Shekinah glory. And yeah. I, I, for <laughs> me, I'm not even there. So they're not, they have to be on mission because I'm not there. We find that the giving, small group participation, church membership, and service is higher at a video campus than where I preach live. Consumers come to see us. Missionaries go elsewhere. They don't care if we're there or not. That's a pretty huge point. He's saying that it's less about him yeah. in a church where all yeah. he is is the 75% teacher. And you're saying that you think it's less about you because you actually you know, plant these autonomous churches, that, which we both... We yeah, do too. we have no debate about yeah. church planting. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're yeah, all yeah, on yeah, that. The, the, well, the question is about multi-site. So if I can just keep asking a question mm-hmm. then about you being there as sort of a video presence. When you preach, I mean, you're, when you preach, certainly part of what you're doing is responding to the congregation that's no, there. I'm a total introvert. I'm a total introvert. I, I feel, see, I'm, I'm more functional, charismatic. He's way funnier I, when he's preaching. Yeah. Personally, interpersonally, I can just tell you. I'm awkward, I'm making all the jokes. Yeah. I'm making all the jokes. He just laughs at me. Yeah, I'm just part of the set design. So for okay. me, I mean, I'm just trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to enjoy the scriptures, and I'm trying to say what God lays on my heart. I am not interacting with the audience. I don't make, I'm a major introvert. And to me, that's the missiological contextualization. You'd probably throw this over in the, the, the rubric of ecclesiology, I'd throw it over in the rubric of missiology, that, mm. that there isn't a way to do church. There are elders and deacons and members and discipline, and there's word and sacrament and marks. You have all the but nine the, marks. You have all the, you have all the biblical have non-negotiables. All, all you just have campus, is a preacher on a screen. 75% of the time. And then, seriously, yeah. what happens when you die? Oh, yeah, it's going to be far easier than it is for you. Correct. Because okay. you're a pastor-centered model. We're a mission-centered model. Okay. And so for us, since I've got campus pastors that are first among equals with our own elder teams, membership, small groups, discipline, everything at the campus, and they open and close all the services, they teach the classes, uh, and they preach 25% of the time, if something happens to me, these all become autonomous churches in Acts 29, and those lead pastors at every campus become the primary teaching pastor. And so you, the whole thing is built for me to back out when we're all saying that. And you, would you want to do that before you're all done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There will be an Well, then in that sense, this is kind of like a slow church planting strategy. He's seeding, it's he's a seeding massive something. church planting strategy. Well, yeah, I would have yeah. far less questions about it if it's a church planting strategy. Ultimately, so in the end, I'm, we all I'm, get along. I'm, Let's sing I'm almost off. 40. That's 10 <laughs> minutes. He's That's Baptist. 10 minutes. Let's we vote. Say. We vote. <laughs> That's awesome. And now we're back for real. Um, first comment on listening to that video, I would have to say, and, and this is coming from a guy who really likes Mark Driscoll and, and has liked Mark Driscoll prior to this. Um, boy, he seems just a, a, a hair arrogant in that one. And, and I am I'm, think I'm using the right word there. Arrogant is probably the right word. Uh, a little too dismissive maybe. I'm a big, I was a big Driscoll fan, still am. I, I hope Driscoll comes back and does more teaching. Um, but this reminds me a lot of when they did the Elephant Room. And yes. uh, where Driscoll, and I think it was Driscoll and McDonald, kind of jumped on David Platt about the uh, the whole radical. Um, and there was a lot of people, even probably listeners of the show, who might would have agreed with them on their points regarding radical. But it was the way they came across. Um, you know, very, uh, like you said, very arrogant, which is not usual for Calvinists. No, I, I mean, uh, this is probably the first 
reform person I have ever heard that's displayed even a little bit of, yeah. of hubris. It's a little unusual. Is Martin, Thank God I have the chat to pay attention to. Is Martin right ever a um, Calvinist? He is. Okay, so well, regardless of that, I agree. I agree with that part. I thought, um, you know, I thought they kind of, they, they said, hey, we want to hear from you, and then they immediately started talking over him and yeah, they wouldn't listen to you know really to wouldn't listen to what he was saying but and, and also like I, I don't want to go too deep into this but it struck me at the very beginning of the video both driscoll and mcdonald are like yeah we got 20 campuses forty thousand people yeah it really came off with numbers big time yeah I mean, like, hundreds of salvations or hundreds uh, of decisions yeah. for christ a year it was a little i mean just honestly you have to kind of uh even when you're talking about numbers you have to be aware Right, that you have to slightly humilitify that, because otherwise, humilitify. Yes, humilitify. Otherwise, it's just going to come out off of the way it did, which is you're kind of bragging. And I don't know their hearts and, and, no. and such, but um, and again, I, I'm a, I'm a liker of Driscoll, and I'm with you. I hope he comes back. And, and by the way, this is what we're doing now is looking in hindsight, and as one of your favorite guys, Pat Dye, has said, hindsight is fifty fifty. Um, it's very clear looking back where you can point awesome. out mistakes, and I don't want to do too much of that. But I think we see a different side of Driscoll here, maybe a side that wasn't quite as prone to listening as maybe he should have. All right, here's the here's the to me the bigger and the reason I brought the video. So they obviously in the clip they get into talking about multi site, non multi site. Endeavor asked the question uh, essentially, well, what would happen if you went away? Well, you know, I think what would happen if you died or something like that. Driscoll says, well, it would actually be far easier for me than if you died because you're very pastor, very pastor centric and we're not. And essentially, he said all of these, you know, become all of these multi-site campuses, if I go away, become autonomous churches in Acts 29. And all the lead pastors become the teaching pastors of that church. And that's how that's how we're set up. Which happened, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and that's the question. I mean, that's kind of the intriguing part. Did it happen that way? Because what Dever is trying to point out in the video, Dever is saying that the way they did multi-site, so the way Driscoll did multi-site, was making it too much about him at all of the different multi-campus locations. And if something happened to him, then those churches would cease. That's ex- essentially what Dever was getting at. And Driscoll says, no, 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 no. We're not as pastor-centric as you, who doesn't do multi-site. These things are set up to become their own churches. Um, and then we see, of course, Driscoll does go away in, in essence, not because of death, but due to controversy and, yeah. and resignation. And uh, so it's just kind of interesting listening to the video now and, and kind of looking back. Uh, I will say that some of those campuses became, and I probably need to look it up, and I should have earlier to get the full number. Some of those campuses did become independent churches, did they not? That's my yes, understanding. some of them did. My understanding is uh, some of them closed down. Um, Obviously, they didn't have to, I don't think. Oh, no, no, they did. Well, they didn't have to, uh, like they weren't demanded to. Right. That, okay, that's was, that was not clear. A lot of people left the Acts 29 movement kind of because of the way it fell down. I was in a church in the 90s. It was led by a man who I consider to be one of the best pastors I've ever been around. He, he was a lot like Driscoll, a manly man, an incredibly gifted preacher, 
uh, a worshiper, a very tender-hearted guy. Uh, it was a church of uh, nearly 200 people, and everybody absolutely loved him, and he was great. Well, he stepped down, and the church just absolutely collapsed, even though they put another pastor there. It was so focused on his personality and giftings that the way he stepped down, and it was quite controversial what happened in, in the middle of that, it just totally dissolved the church. And you see a bit of a macrocosm of that uh, in, in what's happened with Mars Hill. I guess in retrospect, what we're saying is that it looks like Mark Dever was right, that the church was too centered around a personality. Uh, the church system was too centered around a personality to survive or thrive without that personality. Is that, that right? That's my take. I mean, again, uh, you know, I'm not a, a Driscoll critic, and, and he had plenty of them. I, I was a um, Driscoll fan, but it, it seems like in retrospect that it wasn't as smooth as he acted like it would be. Now, I think uh, from what I can see, they had 11 of their multi-site campuses that did become newly independent churches, but... You know, and, and part of this probably was the thing came to a halt much sooner than they they thought it would. But just to not listen, to mention, he was in a, the midst of controversy at the time. Well, so he was, but that that to me can undermine his setup a little bit. I, I yes, it's just that the way he he it was he was dim, dismissive to Dever in this video about his concerns. That, that Driscoll had made it too much about him. He was very dismissive of that and said, no, 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 we have this set up for them to all become independent churches and these campus pastors become teaching pastors. But when the church actually went into a place of, of dissolving the multi-site, it, it didn't seem like it was that smooth of a transition. Yeah, um, they They seemed to be scrambling a little bit. I, I can get that from it not happening, you know, happening quicker than they thought. But, you know, not all of the the sites became uh, independent churches. The ones that did become independent churches had to buy property from Mars Hill. Um, they had to set up their own government. They had to some of the churches merged together. It, it, and, and Mars Hill, the campus church, you know, gave all the multi-site campuses like time where they had to. You know, you have to make a decision within 45 days what you're going to do. So it just didn't seem to be the setup that Driscoll seems to point out in the video that that it's going to be. Um, and really, I, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm not a multi-site guy in terms of that's not, you know, I, I would more fall under Dever's um, idea of how to do, you know, church. But... I think it just puts kind of that warning back out there looking back at this and puts that warning to us that, you know, it's, um, you know, what's the Proverbs 14 that, you know, there's a there's a path that seems right to man, but in the end is death or in the end is destruction. You know, it's, uh, you know, Driscoll seemed very confident in the video that, you know, no, 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 there's no concerns. We're doing this the right way. But it didn't seem the transition didn't seem to go as smooth as he as he thought that it would. Um, a little seamless, not not as seamless. Yeah, that's that's I. I'm kind of like you. I'm a Driscoll defender, and so part of that to me, I'm afraid, was everything was in turmoil anyway for Mars Hill when all that happened. I don't wonder if it. And this is going to not help the people that would say it was about him, but he was the lead pastor with a vision for 
that church at large, and whenever he was hindered in his ability to lead at the time, it I could see where it would make his vision for how the churches would split problematic. And so, you know, I know I'm coming across as just a Driscoll evangelist in that statement, but look, the fact of the matter is Driscoll was cocky, and and depending on how long ago this was in things, there were seasons of life where I remember Driscoll in his messages or in conference talks admitted, yeah, I used to handle things this way, and then by God's grace I'm learning, and then, you know, a situation would rise up and he'd seem like good old, <laughs> you know, what William Wallace message board Driscoll again, and then he'd ebb and flow. And, and I guess, I, I guess in my Driscoll apologist thing, I want to go, yeah, but which of us don't do that? In terms of the multi-site thing, I don't, Mars Hill going down the way it did, I don't think, I think it can actually be encouraging for people that want to advocate multi-site. But Well, I, I think the multi-site was much more tied to personality than they let on that it was. I, I think, I th- yeah, I think I wanna... the church, I think, I think that church, Mars Hill, was much more tied to Driscoll than he acted in the video like it was. And quite honestly, I think that, that may be true with a lot of multi-site campuses. Um, so again, I, I'm not a fan of, of that model, but um, it, it's interesting to watch it in reverse and to kind of uh, see it through that lens, well, uh, so, new lens. Well, Chase had his hand up, but... Well, I had a consult with uh, an elder of a, of a large church in the Birmingham area a couple of years ago, about three years ago. Large or multi-site? Uh, lar- no, the, a very large church okay. with a very prominent pastor at the time who's not there now. But the elder was, was asking me, what do you think about multi-site? Should we, we're thinking about doing this and taking our guys' sermons and pumping it into various sites. And this guy's one of the best preachers in America. Um, I, I told him, even, and I love this guy. In fact, uh, he's probably one of my two or three favorite preachers to listen to, one of the best. Really, he's, he's amazing. But I told the elder as he was asking me about it, I said, you know, when I look at Ephesians 4, I see that the work of the ministers, the fivefold giftings in the body of Christ, the, uh, the, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, their work is for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Their work is not to do all the ministry, but to equip others to do the ministry and release them. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus trained his disciples. He showed them what to do. He told them what to do. Then he released them to do it. And I'm afraid in multi-site churches, and and not I can't paint with a broad brush here, not all of them. But I'll look, I can paint with a broad brush with what, what I'll say here. In personality-driven churches, very often the personalities – the personality who drives the church overshadows the other gifts of the church to the point that it becomes all about them. And that can be dangerous unless you're an incredibly mature, seasoned, biblical, humble personality. Hmm. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think that um, we mentioned Platt earlier, I think, in the um, uh, well, at the beginning of the segment. And one of the things that – you know, I noticed Platt in his last year or so that he was at Brook Hills – I mean, even more, I'd, I'd go back two years, he was giving over a lot of pulpit time to other pastors and preachers in the church. A lot and, of wisdom in that. And the thing is, I mean, he was, I mean, Platt's, uh, in my opinion, a tremendous preacher of the Word. And, One of the top two or three in America. And people were going to go hear him. I mean, we we went to Brook Hills um, one time just when we were taking a week off, and we went and hoping to hear him. And there was another guy that was preaching there that week, and he did a great job, great message. I had a chance to talk to 
to the guy. Uh, Bart Box was his name, and he was after. I think he planted a church of it on his own now. But um, you know, it was a, it was just a situation to where I think Platt began to. Yeah, I don't know his heart behind it. I, I'm guessing maybe he recognized some of the celebrity that was starting to develop around him. But he was all about letting other people preach for him yeah. and not feeling like he had to do it all the time. And, um, uh, you know, I think that's just, uh, like you said, I think there's a danger in, there's a danger no matter who you are in allowing that to become all about you, you know, as as you're preaching. And I think that's the problem. That that's the issue I have with the video sites. So, uh, you know, I, I don't have a verse to point to necessarily against it, but I, I just I don't think it's all that wise. I did a quick poll of the guys that are able to participate in the Facebook Messenger, and um, our happiest contrarian, uh, Emmanuel, was the only person that did a blanket. Not I. We had a lot of guys kind of say the multi-site thing doesn't bother them, um, and so it's interesting to kind of to talk to folks, and it's just becoming more the norm, more and more and more of it. So wait, Emmanuel said not I. On who would attend multi-site. Oh, okay. And so, um, you know, I'm sure everybody's shocked by that. But um, Good for him. Well, there you go. He agrees with me. He's right. What? Hmm? Anyway. Okay. I guess we'll move on. Chase, you okay? Yeah, I was, I was looking up this quote. This is something J.D. Greer wrote that I think is really strong and applicable here. He says, Beware your strengths. They are far more dangerous to you than your weaknesses because your strengths keep, keep you from hoping in God's mercy. You know, mm-hmm. Of course, he's, he's focusing back on 2 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, and those passages where Paul talks about the power of God flowing through him in because of his weakness. I, I, get, we have pastors sometimes that in their strength, in the power of their giftedness, kind of drive people away from ministry because people would say, in a sense, well, I'll never be as gifted as that guy. Well, even at our highest level of giftedness, there is a greater strength to be found in weak dependence on Jesus because the excellency of the power is not in our jars, but it's mm-hmm. in, it is not the jars. The excellency of the power is in the jars. So that's my closing statement on that. That's a good word. Yep. Greer so, being a multi-site guy, by the way. It's Indeed. Group. Are they? Yeah. Didn't realize that. See, that's the thing. Some of those guys do it very... And, and look, I'm not against yeah. multi-site. I'm against personality-driven. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm against king-pastor model. Yeah. I just... Well, and king-pastor model can happen not multi-site. Absolutely. But, but I, you know, I, I still have a tendency to think most multi-site is personality-driven. But yeah. I'm, I'm probably painting with a very broad brush, but most of the, most of it that I have been around... I mean that's what you're doing. It, you're you're pumping in one guy on video mm-hmm, yeah. to multi, multiple locations. And Herschel says, "Why not plant a church instead of going multi-site?" And that's generally speaking my mindset. I generally, and you hear the word generally, I generally think that's better with some exceptions. Well, Endeavor, that was what Endeavor and was pointing out, yeah. but now Driscoll and and McDonald were saying back that, well, we plant churches too. Yeah. So we and have they multi-site. Prolifically. I think they said mm-hmm. we do multi-site in locations where we're, we're known um, and might have some influence, and then we plant churches in areas where we aren't as known. Um, so they were saying they do both. But mm-hmm. anyway, so good discussion. Uh, send us some feedback. If you would like to contribute to that discussion, um, you can send us an email at, uh, was it uh, – 
thegospelfriends.gmail.com. Gmail.com. We've got a good chat going via Facebook um, for the episode, but go to the Hall of Dogma as well. HallDogma.com. That, a lot of discussions happen there. HallOfDogma.com. We'll get to the, to the Facebook site and we'll allow you to, on weeks we decide to do it and make it work. Nick, good job. Uh, we will, <laughs> we will, uh, we've uh, tried now, second week in a row, posting I'm a not gonna link. I'm edit point. A link to uh, a live video feed where yes. you can watch as we record. Uh, behind behind the scenes and then live as we record the show, you can watch and comment. Although uh, I guess we've had some difficulties. Well, that, that's with, what I was going to say. A heartfelt thanks from from me to the people that helped us last week, kind of beta and guys this week that are plugging along with us. Um, hopefully next week we'll know more about what we're doing. But thank you for that. Um, you have an addiction though that um, is a place they can also contact us. Yeah, Twitter. Yeah, there you go. The Twitter tweet. you can reach us at. My Gospel Friends on Twitter, and we will have some uh, Twitter feedback um, in just a little bit um, regarding the show uh, that we got earlier in the week. Very quick question for you guys. We're not actually going to do what were you thinking this week. We are on a time crunch. But uh, I do have a question. New story from around the world. Not really what were you thinking, just a question uh, for the two of you, okay. uh, title of this article is "End of Washing the Car." A third of men have never cleaned their own vehicle. Survey reveals three in four women and a third of men have never washed their own car, shattering age-old images of Sunday spent with bucket and sponge in hand washing cars. This is actually from a. Uh, a, a survey that went out from a team of Eastern European car washers and car wash machine uh, businesses. And uh, they polled almost 1,100 adults and found that 31% of men have never washed their own car. And of those who had only 12%, they said they did it regularly. So uh, that just made me wonder, guys, like how often do you do you guys spend some time Washing your own cars, Chase. <laughs> it has been. Have you ever seen Chase's car? Hey. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. You Chase. deferred that to him like first. Insult. When's the last time, Chase? How old were you the last time you it's hand been washed a while your car? Since I've last hand washed my car, um, I cleaned it out recently. Did Actually, you? I paid for uh, my middle daughter to clean it out. And she did a good job. That's the same thing. Yeah, yeah paying somebody enough. to do it. Uh, the kids, Big money Thompson. Then, they want to earn money for uh, chores or whatever, and, and they will actually hand wash the car. I hand washed our cars growing up. I probably last did it when I was in my 20s. Hand washing a car takes a lot of time. And, um, I, I, you know, you talk about hand washing a car or paying $2 to go through the car wash. I, I'm more of a pay $2 to go through the car wash kind of guy. Well, um, now, Nick. Do you wash your car very often? You know, the one you have <laughs> right what now? now. The one you have right now. I love my car now. Oh, did you get a new one? I did. You got a new car? Whoa. I got a car yesterday. Is so that Nick's, where all the TGF funding has gone Yeah, to? that's it. So, Nick. Because I noticed the bank account much, was cleaned out. How much money did Nathan Martin send you on PayPal? Because well, obviously all a lot I bought more was than a, me. All I bought was a salad. So, well, so he actually did something to contribute to what he was needing. And uh, so works out. So Nick's car died. Died dead. Dead, dead, and um, like funeral and all. And what did you buy? Can you tell us? Yeah, I got a 2014 Jetta. 
Really? Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. 2014 Jetta. It's manual. Like. Um, is it here uh, today? Is that is that dis- disqualifying? What? A, a brand new car? Wait, it's not brand new. Good heavens. It's it was a one-owner lease. <laughs> Twenty-four. I'm gonna have to think about this. This is this is a troubling. Volkswagen Jetta. I'm not an elder anyway. Twenty fourteen. Like, disqualified me from. How much you pay? You're the head of the, the uh, ministry council, but I'm not an elder. Well, that's, that's a nice. Lo- that's a nice looking car. What, what what color is yours? Pink. I think it was silver, David. Oh, sorry. look, I'm not the one who I saw in Walmart one night with every camo car accessory he could find to try to man his van up. So let's chase. Did you do that? Not me. I don't drive a van, David. No. Oh. Vans are for sissies. Hey. Oh, oh, oh. Shots fired. Hey. Shots fired. Uh, Okay, and women, too. Dude, you drive like a clown car. A clown car? Yes, you have to to climb down into it. (laughs) What do you drive? A Lamborghini? No, that's That's not not a clown car. What kind of car? HHR. An HHR. HHR. It's, It's a tiny little car. It's not tiny. It, it is pretty small. It, it is a bit small. The cool thing about it is all the seats will lay flat, so you can actually haul stuff in it. I uh, Well, I haul stuff in mine. I take the back seat out of mine because I want it to be kind of like a van-truck combo. Yeah. yeah. I understand you called that a tran. I did. I started calling it a tran. Yeah, that's a cool word. I was told that you can't do that. I shouldn't do that. Yeah, I, w- I would call it something else. I didn't realize. But the other combination you got to stay away from, too, so... Yeah, maybe it's just a totally different word. It didn't. It didn't work very well. So now I'm just calling it uh, the van. That's that's that, probably that the I best. can haul stuff in. Yeah, good. Okay, good. I have not riveting. This is riveting. I have, I'm pumped. I have not uh, washed my car in about eight or nine years. I imagine. Who has time to wash their car? I think. So it's how all, do you go about you know what? cleaning I, your vehicles? Then? I bet rain. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What about the inside of your vehicles? Also rain. Just roll the windows down. <laughs> have you ever rode and chased this car? Shut up. It's not that bad. I used to tell Chase that he needed to actually take his car and um, take it down to UAB and see if they would if they would, if they would pay to have it, be able to scientifically test it. Well, now, you I remember the, people I remember the wrong the big, impression. What, was it the Crown Vic? Yes. I remember you didn't have to touch the seats in that because of all the, the magazines and newspapers that were strong. That's true. What? You and all the trash that you keep. If, if I ever ride with you, every every car ride with you begins with you taking your hand or your foot and clearing out about 20 cans of Coke uh, or Dot Mountain Dew that are that have collected in the floorboard. Well, at least I don't have a prison record like you guys. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on, but Nick, real yeah, quick. I bet Nick, I bet Nick washes his car because I think it's all about we get a new car, you get a nice car. The fact is that me and you probably just don't like our cars very much. Hey, I'm not we're satisfied. We're satisfied with it, but it gets us where I've we I've never been go. a car guy. It gets me where I want to go. Yeah. So. I do want a Dodge Charger, though. That's my dream. You've already washed yours, haven't you? Not this one, no. The rain did that for me. No, but you will. It did drive that. to Tuscaloosa very nicely for 8 day yesterday, though. Roll Tide. Whatever. All right. There hey, you go. Let's do, uh, before we move Whatever. on to the next serious topic, we had mail this week. We had some awesome, real, real live mail. We got real live mail. It was a box, and it was not, uh, there was not a grenade in it. Uh so Why are you touching it? It didn't come to your house. It wasn't from uh, Rachel Cathy. Who, who who did he send it to? He sent it to me. To your house? Yes. Did Why? he ask you for your address or he did he find it on the internet? Yeah, I talk to people on the internet. I respond to messages. I am ups- phone Herschel. Calls. Why would you not have mailed this to me? All right. I don't know. Herschel who? K Rice. Uh-huh. Herschel K Rice sent us a Why? box of cereal. Uh, let's see. We can't have nice it says, unlike gospel friends host, the listeners do mail boxes of cereal. Thanks for the great podcast, my friend, my friend, singular, and I look forward to hearing you guys each week. 
May God richly bless you, my brother. Singular. In him. Hey, give me back my letter. Radioactive man. I, okay, I can't remember. So I can't remember. Who did he send this to? Chase. Yeah, there you he go. He sent it to me. And what we have here is a box of Trader Joe's. Nice. Just the clusters, chocolate almond granola cereal. <laughs> and I have good news for you guys now that you're in middle age. It has four grams of fiber per two-thirds of cup. And if I'm doing my math right, that means approximately six grams of fiber per cup, All which right. will make both of you far more regular than you are now. It's <laughs> Hey, so let's, let's pour this out. I, I'm, I've already deducted. So our, let's our, pour some out for David. Our cereal review is on a scale of five spoons. That's right. And I have already detracted one half spoon for a look because some of this had spilled on the floor, and I thought a rat had been in here and went did his business. So, all right, here we go. I don't know how to respond you, to this. It actually looks pretty good to me. Really? Well, rat, I mean, if I saw it on the floor, it might rat, not. Rat poop cereal looks good to you. I'm sorry, Herschel. He's he's barely civil. Herschel didn't make the cereal. He went and bought it. It's yes. Not, I mean, it's not his he personal. He bought it for us and sent it to us. And by the way, we were talking about Trader Joe's last week. Hey, that was good. It was personalized. Is it pretty good? It tastes much better than it I'm going to try it. For the record, what I heard is that David likes rat poop. It's it's not Herschel's cereal. Like, he didn't make it. I'm not a fin- It's not his family that mm. puts this together. He doesn't own Trader Joe's. Wow. That's really good. Look, that as is far as healthy Herschel, cereal with a lot of fiber, Herschel did note that it was sent to Chase because he knows how to pronounce his name. Thank you, Herschel. No, Price. it was sent to Chase because uh, he's not regular enough. No comment. That's good. Mm. Okay, I'm going to give it – I still have to take the half spoon away for for look. I'm going to um, – you know what? I'm going to go um, four spoons. That's good. Nick. We don't have milk, and that hurts it a little bit, but this is good. What do you think, Nick? That would be good in milk. See, the fact that it has the health benefits as well, it's probably going to get a four from, from me, just because, like, I would straight up eat that, like, purchasely, mm-hmm. intently purchase. I would buy this, eat this, Hello. and um, this is why I don't let it carry me to greater heights of health. So four spoons from me. Captain Crunchy, and some good news from Emmanuel Marsh. We are getting a Trader Joe's here in the backwoods Birmingham area very soon, I understand. It's coming to Hoover. That's or good the stuff. Hoover-ish area. I'm going to take it with me. No, you're not. Why? You're not. You just try. See what happens if you take it with you. It's in my possession now. Nick, do you think Jeremiah Martin not doing sub for David? I have no doubt about it. I know for no, a fact you're not leaving this way building to tonight him. until about 10.30 days. If I, so uh, if I'm fine it, for now. We get to pick our own subs, and um, I would have Nathan come in for me. You Ooh. don't pick your own subs when you're dead. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next segment. All right. Now we're on to a serious theological topic. We're going to talk about baptism, and we're going to talk about infant baptism versus exclusive believers' baptism. Um. And and hopefully we're going to have time to talk about unity in the midst of it. But what I'm going to do, David, in just a second is I'm going to throw it to you first to make the theological case for the exclusive believer's baptism. And okay. I'm saying exclusive believer's baptism because as Dr. R.C. Sproul and many other Reformed people will note – 
they also believe in believer's baptism, but there is a school of thought that only believers should be baptized and not infants and children. So, David, if you can, in about two or three minutes or less, make the case for exclusive believer's baptism. All right. Um, The Bible. Okay, that I'm was done. well said and not at all arrogant. And I'm going to make the case for pedo-baptism. Like <laughs> Let's try again. Well, that's really it. Okay. I, I mean, I... Obviously, I, wow. from okay, the Bible. so I see no... Did you read Jacob's... Yes, I actually thought Jacob did a really good job, and yeah. I think we should... Uh, we need to check with Jacob, and if he will allow us, I would love to post his article yeah, that he wrote, well. which was essentially uh, kind of a... Uh, it was an excellent article. Uh, it was excellent. Defensive, um, or thoughts toward uh, infant baptism. baptism. Yeah. Uh, but the issue to me is that you... I don't see the case you can make biblically for it. I understand, and, and you'll probably get into this. I understand the kind of the idea of the old covenant um, sign was circumcision, new covenant sign is baptism, and so just as you would, you know, maybe circumcise babies in the Old Testament, you baptize babies in the New Testament. But it, it's just it's a biblical non-starter. I think I just don't see it. Every to me, every picture you see of baptism in the New Testament is one of adults. There's some, um, again, you may get into this in a moment, but some of the people will talk about, um, you know, an individual is named and then their household was baptized. But there's no, there's no mention of it being children, infants. And I, I just think if you're if you're trying to go to the Word and say, okay, what is what is the way we do this based on what we see in the Bible? I don't think you're going to walk away from the Bible with the idea that you should baptize infants. Okay. Now, I'll also say that, you know, the believer's baptism, I mean, it is what we see baptism coming in the New Testament is after a confession of faith in Christ, which is something that obviously you cannot do as an infant. Someone can do that on your behalf, but that we just don't see that picture. It is a repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Um, it is something that you do following coming to faith in Christ. I do believe you are saved uh, by grace through faith, faith alone, and then baptism as a as a coming subsequent to that, which is not something you can do as an infant. So again, it just the the, the New Testament picture and model. I, I don't see um, infant baptism being something that the Bible would uphold. Okay, and and what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the case for pedo baptism, uh, or infant or children's baptism, and I'm going to do it because I'm a credo Baptist, because I'm an exclusive believers Baptist uh, believer. I'm going to use Dr. R. C. Sproul's words a lot here to fairly make the case. Um, So he says this, in the absence of explicit teachings, both sides in this controversy are forced to rely upon inferences drawn from what is explicit in Scripture. And that should, by the very virtue of that fact, force us to go the second mile in patience with one another when we recognize that we cannot prove that Scripture commands infant baptism. All right, so that's kind of a good starting point. I completely agree with Dr. Sproul there. He's going to give us uh, four points that kind of, in his mind, point us towards this. And by the way, other places he's been quite strong on his belief in infant baptism. In fact, Dr. Sproul, Sproul has said this, I think it's a sin, you can quote me, not to baptize your children. 
God was going to kill Moses for not circumcising his son. It was a very serious matter to administer the sign of the covenant to believers and to their infants. And nowhere is there in biblical content that principle of solidarity ever, ever abrogated. And so I think we're making a huge mistake when we exclude the children of believers from the sign of the covenant. So I think a key question for us to consider, guys, is, is it a sin to baptize infants? And the second question is, is it a sin not to baptize infants? Sproul, who I respect a great deal, says it is a sin not to baptize infants. Here's how he builds this case. Number one, he says the first point we see is that it's that emphatically the old in the Old Testament, the sign of redemption is commanded of God to be given to infants. The sign of the redemption in the Old Testament to him is circumcision. In the New Testament, it's baptism. My question there, and I'm not going to critique all of these, but if that is the case, why is it not explicitly taught in the New Testament? Okay, now I'm going to stop critiquing and just add his words. Number two, likewise, he says, we have abundant record in the New Testament of adults being baptized, which adults are called upon to profess faith and so on. Um, he says of actual 12 reference in the New Testament to baptisms, they're all adults. But four of those baptism accounts include the oikos formula. And oikos is the word that is translated house or household. In other words, 12 baptisms recorded in the New Testament, all are adults, but four mention households. And he believes that includes children. Number three, he says, now it just... I'm just making his case. He says, okay. now it just seems strange to me that if in general terms the new covenant is more inclusive than the old covenant, why would a practice of including the children of believers in the reception of the sign of the covenant of redemption that has been in practice for 2,000 years, why would it suddenly be repealed and abrogated in the New Testament without a single word? In other words, what he's saying is, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is for more than just the Jew, if it's for everybody the entire world, why would all of the sudden the initial sign of the covenant given in the Old Testament for all children now be only restricted to adult professing believers? Finally, number four, he says, he's talking about the passage in uh, Corinthians that talks about uh, an unbelieving spouse or an unbelieving child being sanctified by believing parents. He says, now listen to the language. God says, I'm going to set apart the unbelieving wife or the unbelieving husband for the benefit of the children who issue from this marriage. Because he says, else their children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Now here's what the Apostle Paul says explicitly in the New Testament. Namely, that the offspring of at least one believing partner in a marriage, that's why for centuries they, they practice infant baptism. Um, and they don't do it indiscriminately. Doing this, Paul says, for the sake of the children, else they would be unclean. I find, in other words, what Sproul is saying, and that's taken from a transcript of a debate he had with uh, Dr. John MacArthur, what he's saying is that children in a marriage are sanctified by having believing parents, and therefore those children should be baptized on verge, on, on, on account of their sanctification, which is an interesting argument to me because I'm not really sure that's where what Paul is saying there. In fact, I think the church in general is not really sure what Paul is saying in that whole piece about an unbelieving wife being sanctified by a believing husband and unbelieving children being sanctified by believing parents. So that's the case, essentially, as Dr. Sproul makes it. Okay, there's a, um, you know, number one, I, I don't think you know the the old covenant, Old Testament covenant, and the new covenant. This is not a comparison side by side. They're exactly the same. Uh, the the 
Um, and, and I realize Paul made the the uh, remarks tying the two uh, symbolically, but in terms of uh, baptism, circumcision. But there, there's not a there's not a carryover to me. There's not a command, New Testament command to follow through with baptism as a as a uh, you must do this to show your children as children of the covenant. I, I don't. I just don't see that. It, it's the game changed in the New Testament. The game changed. It was, it was not you do this and you do this to your children in order to show that they are signs of the uh, household of God. It is very much New Testament. Every person standing before Christ, believer or non-believer, uh, and each individual person coming to. It, it, know him in faith and being baptized as a sign of their faith, not of a, a concern of doing a act in order to show your children still there as a promise of the covenant. Because in the Old Testament, you did that. You circumcised, and that showed them as, as, as members, members of the household of God. But in the New Testament, when we raise our children in the instruction of the Lord the best we can, but they must stand before Christ or not stand before Christ on their own. In salvation or, or unsaved, it must be on their own. We we don't. Th- there's not a covenantal marker that we do in order to show that they belong to Christ because they don't until they come to know Him in faith. So I, I just don't see the correlation. That I, I understand the symbolism between the two, but I don't understand saying we need to baptize infants because we circumcise children and that's the mark of the new covenant. Um, in the New Testament, uh, and it must be done when they're kids. I just, I understand the argument. It's just not persuasive to me. I, I don't. It's it's not a persuading argument to me. Now, maybe to others, and I do think that um, I would like to. Uh, Nick's going to contact uh, Hall of Dogma member, listener of the show, Jacob uh, Ali. Ali. And uh, he wrote us a, a great article this very week. Good defense. Uh, very good defense. I, I understand. And he even actually uh, takes on some of the challenges, some of the objections to um, that, that I'm making or that others would make against infant baptism. Uh, for example, you don't see it in Scripture. Baptism means immersion, uh, not sprinkling. Unregenerate church membership is dangerous. Um, and that's tied to a lot of churches that make baptism a part of their membership process, which we we don't here at the Hall of Dogma Church, but I do understand that's kind of a Baptist tradition, and, and other churches do that, uh, but especially in the Southern Baptist genre. Um, infant baptism will confuse people, give them a false assurance of salvation. So he kind of takes on every one of these objections head-on with some um, uh, wisdom and, and Scripture, and so it's a very good article. Nick's going to check with him, see if we can post it. Uh, the link to it in the show notes, and I, I would recommend people go and read it. Um, but I, I'm just not—I'm not persuaded to that view. I, I just, again, you know, I think, um, and even even the household view. I mean, number one, that 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 happened in several instances in the New Testament, but it didn't happen in every instance. I mean, when 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 Peter preached to the all the people at Pentecost, and three thousand got saved, and they said, "What do we do?" It was repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Their households are not mentioned there. This is that was not a com that was not a command that you see throughout the New Testament. Is when you come to know Christ. Now you know 
have your household baptized uh, to, to, to show that. I mean, it's just not this something that you saw. times, but, but, I mean, but you're right. It, no, I mean, it's there, but it's not a command that everybody yeah it's not a command uh, every time it's just not there 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 are things that you see there are things that you see in the new testament that happen in certain instances but i don't think that makes you know that general this should happen every single time um i would agree with that well guys let me say a couple departing words because i'm actually gonna have to leave leave the podcast early for a elder meeting Uh, and i apologize for that but this is our busy sunday uh so so let me say one thing and then uh, let me say one thing again a pro pro believers baptism and then one thing about unity on the issue so um my understanding of of the Pado Baptist argument is that the primary aspect of it, as you say, and as Jacob pointed out, and as Dr. Sproul focused on, is that there is a strong connection between circumcision and baptism, mm-hmm. and that circumcision was commanded. In fact, Moses was almost killed for failing to obey the commandment to circumcise, and therefore baptism should be commanded for children as well. Here's my issue, and and I, I would actually take particular issue with Dr. Sproul, who would say it is a sin not to baptize your children. My issue is this. I struggle to explicitly see a strong connection between circumcision and baptism. Yes, they're each similar in that they're signs of the covenant, but they're dissimilar in several ways. And I don't think the New Testament ever explicitly makes clear, and I don't even think it implicitly makes clear, that there is a strong connection between baptism and circumcision. Now, that said, I think there's two different errors that churches can make on this side, and I think they're both significant. The first one is the one I think Sproul has made in one of his comments, which I believe he has since backed away from to a small degree. Somebody wiser than me can educate me on this, and that is to say it's a sin not to baptize your children, and that if you don't do that, you're in sin. I would say Dr. Sproul, you have to show me that much more explicitly in Scripture. The opposite error of that is to be condemning of somebody who does have a biblically persuaded viewpoint that they should baptize their children. I would would never go to Dr. Sproul and say, Brother, you are sinning by having your children baptized. I don't believe that's a sin. I don't believe you can make it a case that that's a sin. I believe guys like Lig Duncan and R.C. Sproul and R.C. Sproul Jr. and Tim Keller all have a strong biblical belief that that's what is taught there. I don't think it's a sin. And uh, A few years ago, Wayne Grudem and John Piper had a uh, one of the best disagreements I've ever read about in that they were both very charitable and humble about it. And Grudem said that you cannot accept in, in a in a church that believes in believers baptism you cannot accept somebody into membership that has only had infant baptism and piper said i disagree with that you can accept them into membership and i'll read this and then i'm gonna step out he said this he said this is what i would say to somebody in our church that has been baptized as an infant and doesn't think he should be re-baptized he says i would say to them brothers i think you are not baptized but you believe on biblical grounds as you see them 
with as much humility and openness to, to the truth as God has given you that you are baptized. Your understanding of baptizing does not baptism does not imply that Christ's command may be neglected or that infant sprinkling is regenerating. You give good evidence of being born again and that you embrace Christ as your savior and lord and treasure and you manifest an authentic intention on the basis of that faith to follow Jesus as lord and obey his teachings. Therefore, since there's good evidence that you are member of the body of Christ, you may be members of this local expression of that body. I say to that, amen. I say to that, people who divide over baptism issues, and you understand, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. I, I work at a Southern Baptist seminary. I graduated from a Baptist sem- seminary. I say, people who divide over the issue of baptism have little understood Jesus' heart in John 17 and struggle to find a biblical reason for dividing over such. And I have an extreme amount of respect for Wayne Grudem. Uh, But I say this is not an issue that we should baptize over, fully well recognizing that there are thousands of denominations that 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 have divided over it. I don't think it's an issue that rises to the level of, bat- of division. That's just me. I'm obviously in the minority among Southern Baptists, but um, I don't think we should divide over that. And with that, gentlemen, I will say adieu. Adieu to that as well, Chase. Thank you for your time. Yeah, it's good having you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll see you, you know, when we see you. Uh, all right, so um, I, I do I, – I agree with – Chase's thoughts on the membership, and I want to talk about that for just a moment before we get away from the um, from the segment. But going back to, I, I, you know, I think the argument for infant baptism—that's the last thing I'll I, I'll say on it. I, I think it is a. I'm sure I can give you something else. To you probably can. I probably shouldn't have said that, but I think it's a reaching. I think it's a reaching yeah. of trying to. Um, Almost like a, well, we had this in the Old Covenant. We have to have something in the New Covenant. Yes. I, I just feel that like... Was the, that was the vibe I got reading Jacob's kind of paper. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if that's actually Jacob's view or not, but I mean, that's... Oh, no, yeah. That, yeah, but right. I mean, that is kind of the, you know, that's that's the, well, we have to have something following from one covenant to the next. I, I just can't get away from, again, if you just had the New Testament, that's all, that's what you're reading, um, and... and um, you're, you're looking at the pictures of baptism there. I, I, I just don't think you're going to walk away with the um, idea that baptiz- baptizing infants is um, is approved. Now, you know, I realize that you know in the Baptist world we've come up with um, infant dedications. So right, that's that is the thing I was going to. What were you going to share about that? Well, it was going to be a question of for me. I see, um, and even AG I grew up in, we we dedicated babies here since I've been at the Hall of yeah. Dogma Church. We dedicated children to the Lord. And it to me seems very, to harken back to the Old Testament when they dedicate children to the Lord then. And I just always saw a similarity between infant baptism, a symbol that they would be raised as part of this covenant um, until they were old enough to kind of make their own call on it. And at that point, that's when, and obviously I'm, you know, <laughs> going a yeah. little bit of anti-reform, didn't mean to, to light that fire, but, you know, at the we point, get upset about that? You know, reformed guys, really humble, uh, not real feisty. So, um, but, you know, at the point where the, the, the child is, is regenerate with evidence of salvation, 
then they have they join in the believer's baptism. So, but here in this kind of more distinct line of it's only you only have to baptize once and baptizing them as if to claim believer's baptism. I just having read Jacob's paper, I I like the sentiment, but I I see that baptism following um, conversion as a hinge pin that the person can remember honestly of yeah. um, Andrew Peterson has a lyric about you know when he was baptized at a very young age nine nine years old how he was laid down and it was that vision we see of the old man dying yeah. rebirth and things like that and to me that just doesn't correspond with what you can do for an infant um, and, and dedication, I'm not sure things like that no objection but well and I'm not sure if they I'm not sure if they uh, people who who prescribed to infant baptism. I'm not sure if they think the kids should be baptized again later as adults, or is that their only baptism? See, I'm not. I didn't and, get a clear and, view and of I, that. From I, I'm not sure exactly, and that that would be an even bigger issue too. Like if if people are saying well, we're going to do this when they're young is a sign of the covenant, right? And then later on when they're older, they can follow through with a believer's baptism. I don't know. You know that that's almost one thing to me. I mean, in that in that case, I'm kind of looking at it. Go well. I mean, you know, it's essentially you're just doing a baby dedication. Mm. You're just that's sprinkling the, yeah. on with water, and you know, I'm not going to argue a whole lot about that. But if you're teaching, that's their baptism. That is the baptism that will follow them the rest of their life. I, I would push back on that pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't think that is the picture of baptism in the New Testament, where someone follows through with their acceptance of Christ with this act of baptism. Correct. And I actually counsel people. Um, and and we, we don't make baptism here is not a – we're a little different from the Southern, other Southern Baptist churches. It is not a, a requisite for membership uh, in our church. Um, it is not – you know, if you've been baptized as an infant or something like that, we don't make you get rebaptized. Um, or if you've been sprinkled in another church, we don't make you go through <laughs> immersion baptism or, or anything like that. Uh, but but when I teach on baptism from the pulpit or actually in counseling, I, I I have counseled people that if you if you don't if you did not make the decision for baptism, if that was something that someone else made on your behalf, I believe you should make the choice to be baptized because you need to be obedient to your Savior, not right. someone else being obedient on your behalf. You you need to be obedient, um, and and that's that's. That's how I've counseled. That's my view because I just don't see that infant baptism as being the, the, you know, baptism that you valid baptism that you follow up after receiving Christ through faith. That's just my, you know, that's my view on. Now I would not. I'm like Chase. I would not tell someone that's baptizing their child, you're in sin. Right. I, I would if they asked me. I would say I just, I just don't think that's the picture. I don't think that's best practice. Um, I, I would not um, tell someone who came to our church and felt fully confident in the baptism they received as a child. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't come down on them really hard and critical. But like Piper said, you're going to hear me preach this baptism. You're going to hear me point you toward it, and you're going to hear me point you toward it if 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 you've never engaged in that. Um, so. You know that would that would be my that, that's my take. That's how I that's how we you know I, I pastor here and yeah. and and it's because I just don't see that initial infant baptism as being salvific. Well, that's the right word. Nah, you know, that, well, I don't think either one of them brings salvation. But I don't. No, 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 I don't, but I don't see it being 
valid in, in terms of what the New Testament And that's uh, what presents. I like. Right. That's what I liked about Jacob's letter is that it, it really did say this is it, – it tied it to circumcision, the Old Covenant, New Covenant, things like that. And it – Oh, look, I like it, it that. He, I like that he, I, it didn't guarantee salvation. I'm like, okay, this makes no. more sense. To I mean, me he did, and I read, and I read. I actually think Jacob's uh, a reform, <laughs> a reform guy. Um, oh boy, too. But uh, what he's doing that for? What? Well, so is R.C. Sproul. He's about as reformed as you can get. But and most Presbyterians, I just like Jacob talks about in his letter. I just the guy who may or may not be Arminian me wrong. is not going to respond here. Yes. Which was a fun comment last week. There was. People are questioning your Arminian citizenship. Well, I, and we can talk about it in listener feedback. We'll, uh, okay. we'll close Sorry. up the back. Right. Oh, you're fine. Um, I'll take that the wrong way. Um, Jacob did say in the – now, here's the thing. The chat went a little bit crazy today. It has been fun to watch. Yeah. But the video chat went a little bit crazy, and he did kind of throw in there at one point one baptism. So I'm not sure if that was referencing okay. back to them or he overheard us as well. but. Um, we're gonna we're gonna PDFify this this paper. Um, PDFI. <laughs> there you go. And um, I think Jacob is perfectly willing to kind of um, take questions or have a discussion um, in the hall. And so obviously we've talked about that before. Point you to the Hall of Dogma, HallofDogma.com, to have those discussions. All we've ever asked people be respectful of of one another. And so far so good, and we appreciate that. Um, but we'll get the PDF of this in the uh, the show notes. And I'd um, love to have some some feedback. And we've had a great discussion in the chat today. If I can find a way to post that, um, but if you've got thoughts on this, you know we'll probably have a thread in the hall, um, or you know we've got the email, Twitter, um, just just hit us up. David, you're, you're holding your hand up. Yeah, so I, I wanted to say one more thing no, about ahead. baptism Please. that I, I do. And this is something again that I've preached on before. I, I think so. You have denominations that teach baptism as being uh, required for salvation, mm, yeah. and. I stopped short of that because I, I, I'm not fully convicted or convinced New Testament-wise that that is the case. I think it's faith, faith alone. Mm-hmm. However, I, I will say, I will say, I think from a Baptist point of view, we've almost swung the pendulum too far the other way. And it's almost like some people kind of throw baptism out there as well. You know, it's a it's a good thing to do. You know, it's. It's yes. It's just merely symbolic, and 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 I almost think we water it down too much. That there is a oh, yeah. there is such a tie, even even from Acts two, and I was preaching from that this morning. There's such a tie to salvation and baptism. So repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. There's such a tie there. I, I think. I mean, I really think for me it boils down to it's the first act Christ asks for you to do in obedience. Right. It's you've come to faith. And do this from obedience, and and I think there's such a tie there. I think number one, you have to be careful to not just be flippant about it, which right. I think almost, in, at least in, maybe in some of the churches I grew up in, it was a little bit too flippant about mm-hmm. baptism. But but that's all the more reason that I point to believers' baptism mm-hmm. and saying because it is something that is tied to that salvation that comes through faith and. And that you're to follow through in obedience to Christ, which you you can't do obviously as an infant prior to coming mm-hmm. to faith. So I, I just, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm I'm like uh, Piper, and I don't think it should exclude someone from a church. Again, a pastor at a church where we don't even make baptism requirement for membership. What are our requirements? <laughs> well, I can cover them for you if you would like. 
uh, you know, to join. But oh, uh, look, I, I was remember I was joined and I didn't get the choice. Yeah, we uh, yeah we joined you. It was very Calvinistic how we handled you. <laughs> Agape, the uh, love that uh, the the hollow dogma church, the uh, church that chooses you. So, uh, can I please put that on the website? <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> so, anyway, I, I just think I, I think there's an importance there and a tying there that sure. sometimes we're a little flippant toward, and I think that's all the more reason that we must um, that 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 it should be something that follows through after coming to faith in Christ. So anyway, good discussion. Uh, please send us your feedback. If, if you have it, Twitter at my gospel friends in the hall of dogma on Facebook, hall of dogma.com. Uh, or you can send us an email, the gospel friends at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a way you can leave us a voicemail at uh, 205 575 9735 Or you can write a position paper like Jacob and send it to us and we will post it in the show notes. Um, and um, and and again, I, I do encourage people to go read Jacob's paper yeah, if you oh, haven't, oh, yeah. um, because he wrote it um, at our request, and mm-hmm. I would like I invite other people to go read it and send us your comments uh, on that. So we're going to get into some listener feedback to get ready to close the show out today. Um, what kind of uh, I've got some stuff from the Twitter. You got anything coming at us from the? Uh, HOD on Facebook this week. Well, so I wanted I wanted to mention this, and this is I'm going to turn into Dave and talk about myself for a second. Um, <laughs> Was that a shot at me? No, no, oh, okay, not at all. all right. uh, apparently, I'm not an Armenian, and so I've I, known that for years. <laughs> jerk. Okay, so so yeah, James James Heiser um, posted. I'm up to episode forty, and I'm still not sure is Nick really Armenian or is he just not reformed? No, he's not. Well, so here's here's he's reformed and doesn't know it. Or, or won't admit it. He's reformed and won't admit it. You know how I know? Because you love the truth. You're a truth guy. I love that truth train that slammed into your head. Whatever. What I think is you funny what the truth is, train was like? It was like one of those little trains you get on Christmas Day, a little track running around the Christmas tree. You know how you stop them and go over there and give them a little kick? Boom. Fall right over. <laughs> Their little wheels keep turning, making that whirring sound. But it ain't really going anywhere. That's the truth train. So Chris just said, uh, three of David, a trinity of truth. Ah, yes. <laughs> Boom. And then followed up with three David McConnells. This is a scary reality, by the way. Mm. And then Herschel called Chris out for sucking up. So there we go. Um, so back to the... To the by the way, mean, Chase left his cereal, Herschel. Yes, he did. Um, I bet he never sees this again. So here's, here's where I actually wanted to, to kind of go with this is typically... And, and this is a little bit kind of from some of my Calvinist brethren, you guys and, and others, but it was always a binary thing of on off a little bit. But if you're not reformed, you're Armenian. It's kind of one or the other. So is there a significant gradient there that we're not taking into account? Yeah, when we talk I about honestly it? don't think you would be a, a true Armenian in the sense of the word. But I, well, because every, I, time, I, every I time I talk to a Calvinist, it's like, yeah, are you a Calvinist? I, I say, well, no. And they say, Oh, so you're Armenian? Well, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's the. I, I do think that's what happens. Is it's like two buckets, right? Um, everybody f- would fall into, you know, the thought is you're you're going to be one of the two Calvinist or Calvinist or Armenian. But I think there are so many people out there now that have so many different kind of. Uh, I hate to use the word flavors, but just you know ideas and right. um, you know you've got you know even people who listen to our show now who identify themselves as. 
uh, Molinist and uh, you know people like Emmanuel who would say, "Well, I'm I'm." Don't fall into either one of those camps, right. Arminian or Calvinist. So I just think the lines are he blurred calls out. Calminian is that? Cal- I don't even know if he calls himself. I call you that. I don't know what he oh, refers thought, to himself okay. as that. Okay. He might, but um, you know, it's. Calvinian. I think there's just so many. Uh, th- those lines are kind of blurred now, and you know, even a lot of guys. I mean, there's there's so much like there are. There are people who, yeah. If you really look at all that comes in with Reformed theology, there are some people who call themselves Calvinists who would not consider themselves to be truly Reformed. When you look at all kind of the points of interesting uh, of of being someone who's Reformed, and and so you know, Rob Johnson, I had this discussion the other day. He was asking me some questions. We got into kind of a Twitter conversation. He said, "Well, I know you're Reformed. I'm just trying to figure out which flavor of Reformed you are." So I mean, see, that's yeah. So there's 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 so there's so you know there's so much out there, but. uh, uh, no, I really don't think you, you're uh, Armenian. A true Armenian. Yeah. But I, like I said, I, I think there's there's a little reform guy in you trying to get out. He just See, you, you keep holding out that hope. But anyway. I didn't read the article. <laughs> Let me tell you what I think about the headline. That's nice. Josh, thank you for that. Uh, so we do um, we do have uh, in the uh, show notes, Chase uh, posted uh, interesting um, Twitter feedback from Tyson Trevino. Uh, Tyson tweeted us and said, hey, uh, I'm bored. If you want to chat, text me. All right, Tyson. So, um, yeah. You may want to be careful what time Chase starts texting you because he has an odd sleep. And then a long list of numbers. I wonder if Chase texted him. Maybe we don't want to know. You know, Chase, Chase, Chase will hit approve on almost any French request he gets on Facebook. Oh, yeah. you, you know that? Oh, yeah. And he's had some people posting some pretty strange things to his wall before. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Good times. Because he just hits approve and doesn't really pay any attention. And he's got like 5,000 friends or something out there. Well, that and he's... Anyway. Chase is a social media uh, glutton. We'll call it that. Uh, I did think, just to kind of give you a little insight into the Hall of Dogma, uh, Tony posted this week uh, to the Hall... Uh, one of the uh, the director he posted uh, to the HOD with all seriousness that I'm able to muster. I need I feel a need to call upon us to pray for one another. Yes. Loss comes in many forms. Suffering is our present lot. Hurt and pain is in lives of so many who find such joy and relief here as do I. But let us stop and pray for all here in the hall of dogma. For God knows what each and every one of us has a need of here at this very. Moment. So we appreciate that from Tony. Also, just kind of throwing that out to say the Hall of Dogma on Facebook. I mean, that's one of the things that you see there happening and, and tied to our show is that a lot of those people uh, praying for one another and Amen. posting prayer requests and, 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 you know, kind of taking an interest in what's happening. Uh, when my mom was in the hospital uh, weeks ago, um, very much was, um, you know, the people in the hall praying for her and. Um and and those prayers heard and answered by the Lord. So very thankful for them. Amen. Tony is actually um, scheduled to be with us next week. Very nice on the uh, on the show. I, I sent him a message earlier to confirm, but I haven't heard back from him. But pretty sure he is scheduled to be here next week. Actually, as a follow up discussion from when he was on the last time. Right. So we're going to talk about next time on episode forty eight um, pastors. The danger that pastors face in terms of isolation and failure, mm-hmm. um, and specifically sexual failures, and how to you know pastors and ministers, people in ministry can protect themselves from um, from something that we see happening to a lot of people, a lot of leaders in the church. So Tony's going to be on to discuss that next week. Um, so um, we we look forward to that. 
and um, we'll try to get to some other questions in the hall. Well, and just to show you how things can swing in the hall, uh, just a post or two away from Tony's call to prayer, um, which, yes and amen to that. Thank you, Tony, and wholeheartedly agree. But uh, Josh Parchman, if a grown man asks me one more time if the new My Little Pony comic is in, I may be posting from the county jail. Yeah, I, I saw that. No so, context for you on that? I, no, I don't. I, I kind of wanted to ask him like, if he worked in a comic book store or something but i've seen josh and and some of his picture i mean he's mainly in camo and a really long beard right like he doesn't strike me as a comic book store worker so it seemed interesting is that something that a lot of you know guys who hunt ask each other about a lot like my little pony comic i really would hope not in that case well if so that'd be why i don't hunt Oh, boy. Oh, that's why. Um, Chris did say uh, some weirdo sent him a request a few months ago, and Chase was their only mutual friend. <laughs> hey, so hey, who said that, Chris? Atwood, Atwood? Yeah. All right, so I've had the same thing, Chris. I've had the same thing. I get, like, this random request from someone I've never even heard of before, and turns out, like, my one mutual friend is, is Chase. So there he, he will approve pretty much anything. I uh, heard from some people on Twitter this week, at T.W. Graham, uh, Tim Graham, um, I actually asked this week, have you guys ever thought about doing a Google Hangout type broadcast for for the podcast? Well, yes, Tim, we have. <laughs> and uh, uh, Tim, Tim's actually a friend of mine um, from here in town, and uh, uh, appreciate him listening, reading the tweets. But yes, Tim, we have a uh, a uh, Google Hangout type broadcast happening. Join us in the Hall of Dogma, halloftogma dot com on Facebook, and you can see the links for uh, for that. Yeah, we got to uh, get a better chat system. Um, and so we still got some research to do, but we're going to keep pursuing this because it has been a good benefit to the show. Jacob Ali, who we've already mentioned once today, or Ali, um, I'm saying both just so I can be right at least 50% of the time. Jacob uh, responded to... What if neither one of them are right? Uh, I mean, look, at some point you just have to go with it. And Josh does work in a local shop. So he, he, he works where? Periodically work in a local comic shop. So really? Wow. It, it would not have been my first guess. It wouldn't mine either. No. Like if I saw if if I walked into a comic book store and <laughs> you know a dude in camo, long beard, holding a gun or something was. Can can I use this for the header image of the show this week? Who is that kicking the other person? I'm not sure, but that's how Josh feels about My Little Pony. Apparently, okay. Jacob uh, though tech, uh, tweeted us and said, "Not sure that we should conclude pulling out of support for the Gospel Coalition." as an organization is the same as counting them as non-brothers. We talked about this on the show last week about some people who were talking about pulling their support of the Gospel Coalition because of their decision to include some non-Christians in some panels during their conference. And uh, I think Chase uh, was kind of making the point that it was just not an issue to consider uh, loss of brotherhood over or cutting brotherhood ties. And um, so Jacob made the point that pulling support for the organization not necessarily the same thing as um, as considering them non brothers, which I you know I would agree. I guess my counter to that would be since they are an organization. I mean, there's really no other way. If you're gonna pull support from them, to me, it's kind of a way of saying um, we don't have any ties with them. But I guess on a personal basis, it's not necessarily calling each member of the coalition a non brother. So it's a little maybe a little nuance there. I, I get where you're coming from, mm-hmm. Jacob. Zach Evans. Um, at Z D Evans on Twitter said new listener enjoy theological debates with occasional banner or the other way around. Absolutely. Who cares? I learn something each week. He discovered our pad- podcast via a recommendation recommendation from Jacob. 
Ailey. There's a third way to say it. <laughs> anyway, Herschel's Jacob. happy with your 50%. He said you're a striver for self-improvement. I am, Herschel. Gay Herschel Rice. is your biggest fan, by the way. I, I, th- I think deep down Herschel likes me, and he just he just pokes at me because of that. Um, That's what you tell yourself. We heard from Old Paths Guide this week, uh, along with uh, Cody Raymer, CJ Raymer on Twitter. Uh, so appreciate you guys reaching out to us this week. Um, see if there's any more that we got in. Um, Richard Devotee, uh, Richie Devotee, good to hear from you again. Listening to the last couple of Gospel Friends podcasts, missed the last two, catching up. We appreciate that. We heard from uh, Remember the Gospel, at Remember the Gospel on uh, Twitter, who said, Imagine my surprise when I randomly started listening to the Gospel Friends podcast and heard my friend Jared Buckley interviewed. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's a... uh, um, uh, a friend of Jared's heard him on the show. By the way, Jared's uh, surgery for his little boy. Yep. We were been praying for that. We talked about it on a few episodes back. Went very well this week. Last I heard, they were kind of moving toward releasing him from the hospital. So, um, thank you for everybody who prayed for uh, Noah, and uh, very uh, very happy for the way that uh, that turned out. Absolutely, uh, praise God. Also, at Remember the Gospel said apparently the Doodle Bops are a Canadian series, but Canadian though I am. I had not heard of them until I listened to the Gospel Friends. So that's interesting. I'm sorry you've been missing out at Remember the Gospel. <laughs> missing out. Well, I mean, we'll go with that. Yep, missing out on the Doodle Bop. So anyway, great feedback this week. Um, we are be back next week with uh, hopefully Tony, episode 48. Talk about uh, the uh, pastoral topics and uh, much, much more. It also won't be uh, preach and then. Uh, try to record between games but oh wait games got canceled before elders meeting before another meeting yeah. day so it would be extremely helpful if some of the um it, it doesn't have to be some of just like if one of the gospel friends listeners could um you know contact a rich person for us or perhaps maybe you're rich yourself and could just bankroll full-time full-time podcasting uh, jobs for us. It'd make we're it, not that costly. It would make life a whole lot easier. It would. Oh, look, you could get us. You could get us on a steal, considering what other people pay celebrities. I, I agree. Mean, and, we and need we, to be celebrities. First. We could even. I mean, we could like. I don't know if we'd rename the show after you because I mean, like you know, and there'd be sponsorships involved. But I mean, yeah, it'd be like the Tags gospel. In and out. The gospel friends brought to you by. Oh yeah, blah absolutely. blah blah. You'd get a little segment every week. Yeah, we may make absolutely. fun of it before or after. Yeah. We would make fun of it before. But, I mean, you would want us to. You're sponsoring the show. That's right, what we're that's all what we, about. That's our, that's our so, stick. Anyway. But if not, and until then, we will just continue to make do. Best and then can. take our licks whenever the show yeah. is a little disjointed. I'm sure there's a lot of podcasts that one of the hosts leaves in the middle of it to go to a meeting. <laughs> what could possibly like, go wrong? I'm sure that happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many possible names this week. All right, well, uh, we are wrapping up. Again, echoing the sentiments of David, thank you very much for, for hanging in there with us. Um, and so we talked about the contact in a couple places. Go to thegospelfriends.com. We'll have show notes there and all the various ways to contact us, as well as the links um, from what we talked about in the show. And um, by Jacob's good grace, letting us have uh, his, his um, open letter. What do you call it? Position paper? Position paper is what there I call it. I'm not sure what he called it. Yeah, position paper, which was, again, a, a good resource to at least get you started if, if you're not familiar um, with that issue or, or, you know, lean heavy one side but don't necessarily know the other side. But uh, 
That's thegospelfriends.com. As for us, tune in next week when you may hear David say, do I want to know? Yeah, what's going David's going to say? Hey, if uh, any churches out there are looking for a teaching elder, I might be in the market for a new job after I miss this meeting today. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be that bad. Jesus is a friend of mine.